0: All right, we're in John seventeen this or John thirteen. Excuse me. If you're interested, I'd like to turn there. Um, By the way, did you notice we got rid of the pre-registration thing on our website? Um, I know we had a few people say, "Hey, where is that? I want to be able to come to church." Well, we threw it out. You know, what a great message! By the way, if you want to come to church, you have to register. I don't know. I just that never. Felt very good to me. And so, uh, you know, I know there are people in our church, some of you are watching, that maybe uh, felt put off by that. You didn't want to have to register. You know, we're kind of a culture that doesn't want to give our name and our phone number and our email address every time we go to the bathroom. And, uh, you know, I understand that. So, we want you to know that you're welcome to come. We do have to limit the size here in the sanctuary. And so, you know, when it starts looking a little tight, we'll, we'll cut it off, we'll ask people who come in after that to uh, be a part of the service in one of the, uh, uh, either the children's ministry room or the 120 room upstairs, those are both uh, receiving live stream, and maybe you're in one of those rooms this morning, thank you so much for coming, I think our being together is so important, And, you know, whether you get to connect with the whole body or just a few as you're watching in the children's ministry area or up in the 120 room or out here in the uh, fellowship hall, it's just important for us to be together, to see one another. And by the way, occasionally, take off your mask. In fact, you might need to take it off right now and get some oxygen so you don't sleep through the sermon. It's going to be good. We hope, anyway. You know, it's not a good environment behind that mask. Uh, The carbon monoxide level gets pretty high behind that mask. And uh, so I noticed that when I was exercising at the exercise facility. I have to wear a mask now. I'm tired enough without a mask. But you, you put a mask on, I can't breathe. And so... Now, when we're greeting one another, connecting with one another, I think it's very important to be respectful for every, to every person. I don't wear a mask for me, but I wear it, wear it for you. And so, as we're connecting, very, very important. Now, during this sermon, if you want to get a little oxygen, you're welcome to take it off. If you want to leave it on, please leave it on. need to know if you're not wearing a mask, your risk is a little higher. Uh, but if you're wearing a mask, you might die of carbon monoxide poisoning. So, I don't know which is the, the best. There's a lot of argument on this from both directions the most important thing is that we honor one another above ourselves wherever we're at whether it's a place of business that asks you to wear a mask or uh, any event that you go to here in our sanctuary I I, I can't wear wear one while I preach because 80% of communication is not what you say 80% of communication is what you feel and so when I see your eyes, I love it, you know, when I see your face. And, and so, um, you know, when I'm one-on-one with people, of course, I've, I've got a mask. My wife has me armed, uh, and I'm ready. Uh, or, or here as people are coming in or whatever. But when it comes time to communicate with you, I, I really want you to see my eyes because I feel like my eyes communicate my heart. And uh, so, anyway, enough said. Uh, I want to start a series this morning... On relationship and uh, in fact we're gonna call this series uh, building better relationships together so we're gonna talk a little bit about marriage of course we'll talk about friendships we'll talk about our whole circle of relationships we'll talk about our relationships together as as the body of Christ that's why it's called building better relationships together Uh, My wife and I, this last week, got to celebrate 40 years of marriage. Uh, Thank you. It's amazing anyone would put up with me for 40 years, but um, (laughs) amen. I got a hearty amen from a close friend over here. Um, (laughs) Thank you, David. Uh, You know, we got away for a couple days. We went up to Sun River. Uh, Sun River's beautiful especially in the fall when the sky is blue and the aspen trees, you know, the yellow and the light orange in the trees. And you know what we did? We just took some time to be friends, to, to just enjoy friendship, to, to, to hang out together, to go out to dinner. It's never really that good, and it's certainly not worth all that money. But, and we rode bikes. I think we rode like 37 and a half miles or something uh, while we were up there. But one of the thoughts I had um, while we were just enjoying being together was how wonderful it was to have a friendship like we have. And I I know many of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Some of you have had a friendship for a long time with your spouse or maybe some some other people. Right now, in this world of chaos that we're living in, uh, just the unrest in our culture, the politicizing of everything that happens around us. Um, our relationships are, are really important, not just marriage, but our friendships, our, our relationship with the body of Christ. And I, 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 I appreciate my wife so much, but to be honest, she's not everything to me. She's, she, she can't complete me. I was complete before I met her. I don't have to be married to be complete. I think that's a a false idea in our culture. My wife doesn't complete me. Boy, does she enhance me. Hallelujah. But she doesn't make me complete. Jesus does. The Bible says, in him I'm complete. But he influences my life in so many different ways. My marriage, my relationships with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. I need all of these relationships. My wife, she needs friends because I'm not everything for her. And so her time with her friends, uh, extremely important. She had a couple of friends over yesterday afternoon. It was such a beautiful afternoon. They just sat out on the patio and I'm writing a sermon and you know, she knows she's getting nothing out of me that day. So um, She had some friends over. Just relationships are are so important. And our relationship as a church is is so important. And that's the thing I worry about the most as we're going through this time of social distancing. For those of you who are online or haven't felt comfortable coming back to church yet, we need one another. We really do. And that's why we needed to get rid of the pre-registration thing to know that the church is open and we want to gather. It would be great for some of you who come regularly, occasionally, to take a turn in one of the areas, other areas of the building so that there'll be a little bit more space in this pl- sanctuary um, uh, f- for others who might want to get in here. Now, you don't have to do that every week, but it just would be nice for us to think of others more than ourselves occasionally, and I think this is a, kind of an opportunity for us to work together as a church to be able to do that. I know some of you at the drop of a hat would do that if you could get someone else in here who needs to be in church. I know you would because you're amazing. And I appreciate you so much and love you so much. So anyway, we're going to work on this together. Now, building a great relationship is not easy, whether it's marriage or friendship. In fact, if you're just getting started in a new friendship, or maybe you just recently got married. I've done about four weddings in the last couple of weeks. Uh, people are deciding, I'm sick of this. Let's get married. Uh, they've been waiting all summer, you know, and, And it's not easing up. And so they're just getting married. Maybe you just got married and you're watching this uh, online. And there are days where you're going to wonder, is this going to work? I mean, there are days that you're going to walk out. You're going to be arguing in the living room. And you're going to turn and you're going to walk out. Did anyone ever do that in there? Okay, you didn't do it, but you thought it. (laughs) I'm out of here, man. My wife uh so kind uh, we were arguing one time i think we were in the living room and uh she said i'm out of here i'm going home to my mom and i started laughing now that is not a good thing to do when your wife is that upset and and she she says i'm leaving you i mean we'd only been married six months you know <laughs> she was really swept off her feet but anyway um I'm leaving you I'm gonna go home to my mom and I just burst out it just I couldn't help it I started laughing because I knew her mom well enough to know her mom was gonna send her right back and say you work it out bucko there are days when you wonder is this gonna work and I just want to tell you Luke 137 nothing is impossible with God (laughs) could we say man nothing Nothing is impossible with God. I wasn't the best at relationship when I met my wife, my family, a wonderful family, good people. I love my dad, love my mom, love my brothers, wonderful. I honor all of them. But we were not good communicators. We never talked about our feelings. We never said, I love you. We never hugged until I got saved and I started hugging them. They're going, what is going on here? Uh, it was really uncomfortable for them because we just didn't have that kind of transparency and vulnerability in our relationships. Can I tell you what changed my life? Is when I learned that Jesus sought a relationship with me. Do you know that that's what Christianity is all about? Jesus sought a relationship with me to draw me to himself that i would let down my guard that i would stop hiding like in genesis chapter 3 and i would turn back to god and trust that he loved me and that he wanted a relationship with me that's that's christianity it's not principles it, it's not things i grow up believing because i i went through catechism or Uh, You know, some kind of confirmation as a child. I was baptized when I was a baby. Christianity is about a relationship. And it's not one you're pursuing. It's one God is pursuing. We get that backwards. We're always focused on our failure, aren't we? Don't you spend most of your time thinking about your weaknesses and your failures? Where did that come from? Well, it probably came from years of hiding, being aware of your failures but do you know when Jesus called Peter out of the boat remember the storm okay Jesus is walking on the water and and uh, the disciples think he's a ghost remember that story and uh, Jesus says don't be afraid it's me and Peter says if it's you bid me come I think that's interesting I think that's interesting because Peter didn't say Jesus save us from the waves get us to the other side in the middle of a storm Peter says Jesus if it's you bid me come Jesus wanted Peter wanted to be with Jesus in the midst of the storm because he knew how much Jesus loved him he knew he could trust Jesus And, and you know the neat thing Jesus responded come knowing that Peter would sink. How many know Jesus knew that? Okay. He, he knew Peter would sink. Jesus knew you would fail when he, when he sought a relationship with you. He, he, he knew. He knew your weaknesses. He, he knew everything about you, and yet he pursued you to the point, we just celebrated it, giving his body And shedding his blood on on the cross that's that's how much he pursued you and when you understand that that's what Christianity is all about all of a sudden you can start learning to let down your guard see I started learning how to have relationship with my wife and with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ when I understood how much Jesus wanted a relationship with me and when I started letting down my guard Being honest and transparent. You know, I I hear people sometimes confess their sins and basically they they say something like, well, nobody's perfect. And what a cop-out. We know that. You know, transparency with Jesus is is talking about your lust and your lustful thought. It's talking about your anger. It's talking about your deep-seated resentment in life. It's talking about your deep disappointments in life. And and when you can learn to be safe with the God of the universe, be vulnerable and transparent and feel his love and acceptance, then frankly, there's nothing you can do that could frighten me. And there's nothing my wife could do that, that would frighten me. I can start letting down my guard and become fully and completely transparent with her uh, with every area of my life and and sometimes that's scary but that's what deep friendship is based upon and and built upon and 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 it's so important for us I, I I really believed my relationship with my wife is where I begin to learn how to live out my relationship with Jesus and, and then my relationship with Jesus began to be lived out in my relationship with the body of Christ. And I, I love it. I, I can't live without it. I, I need you. Uh, because I, I experienced Jesus in your eyes and in your love and in your warmth and your touch. How many know he's with us? He's in us. I'm not saying God is pantheistic. He's everywhere. Don't step on that bug. Okay, I'm not saying that, but I am saying that he ministers through you. And when you hug me, I feel his hug. And when you love me, I feel his love. And so we start living out relationship with Jesus and, and with one another. And it's, uh, it's so important. Relationships are where we experience the greatest joys in our life uh, because joy comes from giving. And you can't be in a relationship without giving. You just can't. It takes all of you. Uh, you have to give your time. You have to give your attention. You have to give your understanding. You have to share yourself. Uh, joy comes from relationship because there's so much giving and receiving. By the way, as a result of your vulnerability and your giving, you receive, and it's it's amazing. Now, to me, Jesus was the master when it comes to relationships. And I say that because he was single. And many of us, as you're listening to me, whether you're online or maybe in the CE room or here in the sanctuary, um, you're single. Jesus was single. He was complete. How many know he was complete? Okay, so he was single. But he was the master of relationships. And when you read through the Gospels, Jesus would take people who were hurt, who had been bruised by life, who were wounded in life, who were closed off from society and marginalized by society. Whether it was the woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery. Can you imagine? In the very act, you know, drug out with a blanket around her. And Jesus was able to make her feel loved and accepted and forgiven. And that's who we're called to be in the world. John said in his letter, anyone who says they know Jesus should live like him, should be like him. If Christianity should look like anything, it shouldn't be a political platform. Christianity should look like Jesus in every social context that we're battling and wrestling with in our nation today and in our society today. It it should look like Jesus Christ. He he was the master. He could make people feel loved, valued, included, respected with a blanket around you and a bunch of self-righteous Pharisees pointing fingers. Learning to receive God's love and demonstrate God's love can heal any wound in any life, in any soul. I, I, I just really, really believe it can. And my prayer is that our church should, could be a, a community of people who live like Jesus. Uh, we could become a community of people who literally act like him, live like him, love like him in our marriage, when it comes to raising our kids, when it comes to whatever context, Bible study or mission trip or prayer group. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We all know that. But I just think that uh, that should be our goal. I'd love it if someone would say amen because that's, I'm kind of being vulnerable here. Okay, I'll quit preaching and start reading the Bible. Uh, John 13, verse 1 through 17. It says, It it was just before the Passover festival. Uh, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Uh, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, uh, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus. Uh, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Uh, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around himself, around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around himself. Uh, he came to Simon. Uh, who said to him, Lord, are, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, uh, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, uh, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you'll have no part with me. Uh, then Lord, uh, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands, my head. I mean, the whole enchilada. Uh, verse 10, Je- Jesus answered, those who have had a bath... Uh, need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. But, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. Uh, that was why he said, not every one of you is clean. It's interesting. The moment they believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that God loved them, and if, when they turned from the world and turned to Jesus, at that point, Jesus said, you're clean. That transformation of focusing on the world to focusing on Jesus is what changed them. They were clean. Verse 12, "Uh, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and uh, returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, uh, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Uh, tr- <clears throat> truly, uh, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Uh, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. <laughs> uh, this is such a powerful story and One of the things of course it illustrates is that if you're going to be in a long-term or a healthy growing relationship you have to learn to wash one another's feet how many know that's true (laughs) there's a lot of foot washing that goes on in relationships you got to learn how to serve you got to learn how to listen you've got to learn how to forgive you've got to make room for one another's idiosyncrasies because we're all amazingly different and even though i should be the standard of everyone at least that's what some of us think. Um, uh, that's not true. We all make up the body of Christ. We're, we're all uniquely designed. Uh, the Bible says in a husband-wife relationship, it wasn't good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable. That word helper uh, is not an apprentice. That word helper means an ally. Th- that word helper means someone of equal value. That adds to the dignity and the honor and the purpose of this relationship. Suitable is like two pieces of a puzzle knit together to complete a whole picture. In other words, we all, well, we all need one another in the body of Christ because we all have gifts. But especially and uniquely in your marriage relationship, most people ruin their marriage trying to change the other person. They really do. If you could just be more like my dad... If you could just be more like my mom, or just be more like that person I thought I was going to marry rather than who I married. It's amazing how we struggle in our soul with trying to change the person we're married to. And uh, how's that working for you? <laughs> it just doesn't work very well because uh, that isn't what we're, we're called called to do building a health relationship uh, is not going to be easy. Now, what's interesting to me is that John uh, is the only one that includes this story in his gospel. Have you noticed that when you're reading through the gospels? There's four of them. John's the only one that caught what was happening in this moment enough to to write it down. I don't know if it went over their heads. I, I don't know why they didn't include it, but John caught it. And he saw that it was extremely important. John, by the way, is the gospel writer. Remember? Uh, He's the one who refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Remember that? John 13, John 19, John 21, twice. He never uses his name. He uses uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved as a description of who he is. What a great identity. What a great, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. So, so, what did he catch that other people didn't catch? When you read his letter to the churches in 1 John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, he says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Uh, 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. It's interesting how he caught the significance of love. And I think this moment when Jesus was washing their feet, he caught something that that maybe other uh, gospel writers didn't catch. And I love that because that's why we need four gospels. Each writer caught something unique about Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry, and we see a more complete picture of who Jesus is because we have four gospels, and John simply caught uh, how this moment was intended to affect his life and the disciples' lives and, of course, our lives together as a believer. Now, one of the things you don't catch when you read John's Gospel is what was happening right before this event. And... Context is always super important when you're reading the Bible. Sometimes you have to look at the other Gospels to connect things that were happening so they understand how this Gospel or why this Gospel is saying what it says. And and, and if you look in Mark chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 20, you see why Jesus did this. Not, not only was trying to demonstrate his love, but in in Mark 10 and Matthew 20, the disciples were arguing over who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. You know, two days before Jesus was going to be crucified. The disciples are arguing over who's going to be captain of the team. In fact, a domineering mother, uh, James and John's mother, domineering mother, who would have thought, comes to Jesus and says, Lord, when you come in your kingdom, I I want you to promise me that you'll allow my son James and John to sit on your right and on your left. And of course, uh, Jesus, so kind, so polite, he didn't say, you controlling? He, He said, well, that's not my responsibility. He said, it's my Father's in heaven. Aren't you thankful that Jesus was kind and Jesus was patient? He didn't point out all our sins all at once. Could someone say hallelujah for that? He, he was so kind and so patient. He allowed the Holy Spirit to work things out in people's life, and he, he didn't expose people completely. I'm so, I'm so thankful that he, he, he responded that way, but nevertheless, that created tension among these 12 guys. For the next couple of days, I don't know about you, but some people are feeling a little betrayed. Like there's competition. Like we're elbowing and positioning and shoving here. Everybody felt like something was going to happen. When Jesus comes to Jerusalem, I mean, the conflict is so high right now. He's going to destroy all the Romans. He's going to overthrow all their oppression. And he's going to take over his king. And I want to be there on his right. And I want to be there on his left. That's literally what was happening. And so... I tell you, this didn't go away for two days. This pressure within their communication circle did not go away right away. And that's why Jesus, the master of communication, verse 12 through 17, washed their feet. And then he says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? "'He asked them, "'You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. "'Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, "'you also should wash one another's feet. "'I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. "'Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master.' nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Do you see what he's doing there? See how he's healing and correcting the the offense, the competition, the positioning, and the elbowing. Now, how how many of you have ever been to a foot washing service? Have, Have you ever had your feet washed? See, I'd rather have a root canal. Or, a colonoscopy, I don 't care. <laughs> Sorry if you're a dentist watching or uh, a doctor i mean it's it's humiliating it it is for me anyway, ladies, your feet, they're amazing. you know you have all your toes painted so cute, you know you go to what is that called a uh, uh, pedicure, thank you. Michael pedicure you know your toes are red or they're blue with metal flake on them or whatever I don't know why it is I always notice that on women when I'm when I'm doing something I'll I'll meet someone for the first time and I'll see that she has rainbows painted on her toenails and I'm thinking really who did that for you I'm just weird but um, anyway your your feet are beautiful mine are ugly okay My toes are crooked. My toenails. Anyway, they're not pretty. They don't. And I feel so vulnerable when someone wants to wash my feet. Are you kidding me? There's something about foot washing that speaks of Christianity. Here's what Jesus said in John 13, verse 8 Unless I wash your feet, you will have no part of me. Unless I'll become vulnerable unless I'll become transparent, unless I'll embrace Jesus with all my warts and all my weaknesses, you'll have no part of me. There's got to be that vulnerability in my relationship with Jesus. It's so important to become a Christian. You got to let Jesus wash your feet. And Jesus Washing your feet is such a great illustration because you know, feet illustrate all the paths you've been in your life, all the places you've gone, all the trails, sometimes side trails, you know, where you've got off track in your life. There's such a great illustration of the choices that you've made with your life. Now, now it was hard for the disciples to let Jesus wash their feet, and it's hard for us. But I wanna encourage you, Christianity starts there. It starts there. And it grows from there as you're learning to let Jesus wash your feet. You come to Jesus, you're clean. Hallelujah. But every day, how many know we got to come to him again? Because our feet have followed down some paths that probably aren't the best during that day. And that's where you don't come to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm not perfect. You know that. Please forgive me. That's where you get specific with Jesus. And talk to him and become vulnerable. And his love and acceptance in those moments are, are what teach you how to be loving and accepting toward other people. They allow you to, to, to learn to listen to your wife when she's hurting your feelings and do the opposite of what you feel so that you can wash her feet. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, washing her with the water of the word. It's interesting. Paul uses this illustration of washing as being critical for our relationship with one another. And, And so, brothers, what we have to... I don't know why it is. As beautiful as women as are, they're not perfect. I know you you hoped she was when you married her but the truth is they have wounds they have hurts they have fears they have insecurities they just do and that's when they need washing and that's where you have to be strong enough and secure enough in your relationship with Jesus, knowing he loves you, he values you, he's gonna take care of you, he's got a plan for you and a future for you. That's where you have to know that so when that your feelings are hurt and you're dying on the inside, that's when you speak words of love and encouragement and communication to get her through that moment because that's what Jesus does for you. How many have noticed how he loves you in your darkest hour? See, the secret to marriage is treating your spouse the way Jesus treats you. And if you don't know how to do that, you don't know Jesus. So get to know him. You understand what I'm saying? Get to know him intimately. Learn how he speaks to you. Learn how he treats you. Learn how he loves you and leads you and draws you through weaknesses in your life. Watch how he rebuilds your soul. With different scriptures and promises, the Holy Spirit whispers to you when you're beating yourself up because you're an idiot, again. And see how he graciously cares for you. And when you learn what he is like, then you can learn to live what he is like. And I promise you, it will be the opposite of what you feel. Ladies, when your husband is a jerk, not abusive, but when he isn't kind that's when you need to be respectful see doing the opposite disarms him brothers when you do the opposite it disarms her when we're in the workplace and we'd like to give someone a piece of our mind frankly you can't afford that because you don't have that much to give away That's when you do the opposite of what your feelings are are, are telling you to do. That's when you're patient. That's when you're kind. That's when you build your boss up when everyone else is putting them down. That's when you don't listen. That's when you, in spite of the fact that you may lose friendship over it, You build up your body. You don't want to ever be around someone who talks negatively about anyone else. Because I promise you, when you're not there, they're talking negative about you. So don't worry about losing that friendship. That's a waste of time. Flee that relationship. Get away from it. Don't be a part of it. Be around people who act Christ-like. Because that will help you uh, to continue to act Christ like I need to invite the worship team to come because I'm uh, too long as usual uh, so I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up um, here's how I'll close the world we live in is a, is a messy place there's a lot of hurt a lot of, a lot of hurt, a lot of needs everybody needs a bath <laughs> But we need how to, to learn how to love one another, listen to one another, be patient with one another. So I just want to encourage you here this morning. I want to start a journey with you for a couple of weeks here where we could just, we could just talk about practical ways we can love, practical ways we can listen, practical ways that we can forgive, practical ways that we can be patient uh, in our relationship with one another. And uh, let me just present us as a church family before the Lord here this morning. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, this stuff is, is not as easy as it looks, uh, to be honest. Uh, the more insecure we are, the more we fight for our rights. Jesus, it says in verse three there, Lord, you knew who you were. You knew where you were going. You knew the Father had put all things under your feet. You were totally secure. And because you were totally secure, you didn't have to defend yourself. You didn't have to prove yourself. You were just able to put on a towel, bend down, and wash your disciples' feet and give them an opportunity to to watch you demonstrate what true love is, what true relationship is, what true serving is. Lord, I just want to pray for myself and for all of us here in the room this morning. Jesus, we want to grow in these things so much, Lord. We want our our relationships to, to last a lifetime. As difficult as that is, we want them to last a lifetime, Lord. We want to celebrate 40 years or 50 years or whatever. Not just in marriage, but, Lord, in fellowship with brothers and sisters. What a, what a gift this church has, Lord. There are so many deep relationships between brothers and sisters for a long season in life. And Lord, we just thank you for that. And I pray that you'd help us keep including new people, new friends, new brothers and sisters into that circle so that they can benefit from our ability to uh, carry out relationship with one another. We thank you for that. Pray blessing on all the ears who've been listening to this message in Jesus' name. Can we all say amen together? Amen.